Where would you be on the 20th of July to the 22nd of July? Advanced version 2.0 conference is live now. Go bit.ly slash version 2con now to register. Amen and amen. Glory to God, church. Um, welcome to church this afternoon. It's a great time to be in God's presence. I don't know if you heard uh, in the early announcements that our 30th anniversary is actually this Tuesday, this week. And uh, not only that, we have conference coming up in a few days. Uh, conference is literally four days away, uh, four, day, four days away from um, Advanced Version 2.0 conference. And y'all, I'm telling you, if you have not registered, go and register. Tell your people about it. Tell your friends about it. Gather as many people as you can find, and bring them to God's presence because it's going to be amazing. And the presence of God is nothing. It's going to uh, uh, be heavily, uh, not just felt, perceived. But it will be experienced. The presence of God will not just be, should not just be something people feel, but it should be something people experience, right? I, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the word "feel" is not really common in, in the church these days. I want to feel God's presence. No, 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 no. What you want to do is experience His presence, not feel Him, because God sometimes. Uh, uh, what was that? Was that? Uh, I once heard a pastor say this way. He said. The evidence, the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, right? The absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. And that means that just because we don't feel God sometimes, it's not meaning he's not present. So um, we're not just trying to feel God, we're trying to experience him. A coming conference this Thursday, we'll be experiencing God in a mighty, mighty, mighty way. Amen. I'm talking about like Acts chapter 2 level kind of experience. And it'll be amazing. So sign up. Uh, that's bit.ly forward slash version 2 con. Go and register. God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you and uh, you are listening right now, either live or on podcast, I want you to kindly join me in the book of First Samuel. Join me in the book of First Samuel, chapter chapter nine. First, oh sorry, sorry, my bad. First, let's go. Let's go before we talk about First Samuel chapter nine. Let's first go to First Samuel, first Samuel chapter sixteen. Let's go to First Samuel chapter sixteen. Uh, then we'll go back to 1st Samuel chapter 9 later on. Um, but 1st Samuel chapter 16, I almost butchered my own text. I'm so sorry. I my, I don't know. So 1st Samuel chapter 16 verse 1 says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I will indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. By the way, let me just go back for a minute. How can I go? If if I go, if Saul hears, he will kill me. And then God says, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord. Invite Jesse and... I will show you what to do. Um, you see, God didn't say, I will show you what to do. You hold on before you go. No, no. He said, take this and go. Then I will show you what to do. Sometimes we learn as we go. And honestly, that's the walk of faith. I never knew this was a thing until I experienced it firsthand. That sometimes the absence of information is not always, uh, uh, does not always mean the absence of affirmation. What I mean is because you don't have enough Information does not mean God has not, God has not affirmed or approved of you, Amen. Now, sometimes what that means just what all that means is God wants to grow your faith. So He, he so you it makes you lean towards the side of that scarcity of information or details and all these things um, because He's trying to grow your faith, Amen. Now, so anyway, continuing, He said, verse four, Samuel did what the Lord said. And when he arrived in Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, sorry, the elders of the town trembled when they met him because Samuel was a strong prophet, and uh, they probably thought he, would, he had come to straighten things up. Um, they asked, "Do you come in peace?" Samuel replied, "Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice the Lord. I have come to sacrifice the Lord, my bad. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me." So they consecrated Jesse and his son, Jesse and his sons, and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. The people look at the outward appearance, 
but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8. I'm sorry it's taking a long time. It's taking this, this is a pretty, pretty long read, but I'm telling you, 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 you will bless you at the end of it. I'm telling you. So Jesse said, then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. So Jesse made Shammah pass before, pass by, but Samuel said, no, has the Lord chosen this one? Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen this. So he asked Jesse, are these, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse replied, there is still the youngest, and he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for David and had him brought him, brought in. David was glowing with health and had a fine appearance with a, with a handsome feature, with, with handsome features rather. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel, hold up. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, everyone say from that day, from that day. the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Then Samuel went back to Ramar. Someone went back to Ramar. Last week, um, we, what we learned last week was um, stewards of fire. And uh, today, what we'll be learning today is this. We'll be talking about the keeper of oil or keepers of oil. Last week, we talked about stewards of fire. Today, we're talking about keepers of oil. Keepers of oil. Everybody say, I am a keeper of oil. Say, I'm a keeper of oil. Um, let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's come to us this afternoon. Holy Spirit, speak to us, Holy Spirit. Challenge us in the places where we have been too comfortable, God. And comfort us in the places where we have been too challenged, Holy Spirit. And let your word speak to di- directly to our hearts. And let it cause transformation in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be sitting in God's presence. Um, the keepers of oil. The keepers of oil keepers of oil um i am i've been using my phone the phone i use currently i've been using it for uh, by i think by november this year my phone should be three years old in my hand i'm telling you i am probably the the only person okay no uh after my mom i'm the only person in my house that has used one phone that long um why i say this is because I'm trying to make you understand that not only am I a good pastor or shepherd over God's house, I'm a good protector of the devices that I'm given. <laughs> um, and here's the thing about my phone. Now, here's the thing about the phone that I use. I do not have a pouch or that back cover, or whatever, and I don't use a screen guard. I don't have a pouch, neither do I use a screen guard for my phone. And I've had people over the years tell me, oh my God, you're using a Samsung? And if you, have, if you know anything about Samsungs, Oh goodness! Yep. <laughs> if you, and they're like you're using, you're using a Samsung and you're not using um and you're not using a screen guard or a phone protector, screen protector, or pouch, or whatever it is, how are you able to make it? And often it comes with a huh. I'm telling you, brother, one day it's gonna you're gonna lose it, it's gonna drop, whatever it is. And I tell them I protect my phone, and genuinely I do. I I do not, there's some things people do with their phones I can't do. Number one, I don't throw my phone. If you ask me for my phone, don't ask me to throw it. If it's your phone, I will throw it. Don't ask me to throw my own phone. I don't throw my phone. I don't um, pass, I don't slide my phone across the table or the floor to pass it to someone else. I don't do that. But recently, about a month or two months ago, I was... It, it was pretty a pretty rough night, r- pretty rough, rough evening, honestly. If I remember vividly, I was trying to transfer, I was trying to go get somewhere, do something. And I was trying to do multiple things at the same time. And uh, because of the amount of things I was trying to do at the same time, my phone slipped out of my hand and my phone fell face flat on the ground. And I tell you, brothers and sisters and Lord, that now my phone has fallen in the past don't get me wrong my phone has fallen in time past but this one time that my phone fell my heart fell with it you know when your phone falls it's like oh yeah but this time around my my heart went in my phone and my phone fell on the ground pow and i knew you know that time when you just know oh no you lost it and i i picked up my phone and lo and behold my phone screen was cracked broken and there i was with a shattered heart I was, my, my heart was more shattered than my phone screen, honestly, I tell you. And why have I told you all of this story? It's because 
Yes, I am a good maintainer of things and properties, but even I am not always, uh, I don't have the best mind or mental condition to handle when the thing that I have protected for so long slips, falls, and is broken. Are you following me now, church? Now, what am I referring to, you ask? Um, when the passage we just read, from the passage we just read now, we read 1 Samuel chapter 16, and now the, the text opens up quite differently than you would, expect, would have expected it to open. Um, or oh, would have expected, expected you to. Because the Bible says here that the Lord said to Samuel. Now Samuel, if you don't know, Samuel is a prophet over Israel. We talked about Samuel last week. Uh, we talked about Stewards of Fire. He was a small boy last time we spoke about. We, we saw him. It was a boy. The Bible described him to be a boy that God chose to speak to after he disregarded Eli and his sons who were living uh, a compromised life and trying to still uh, maintain a certain posture to the public. And they were doing evil in secret and they assumed God did not see them. And God does not, God doesn't roll like that if you know God at all. God does not, God does not, um, see, the, the, the part of God that scares me the most, and I, I, I am very intentional about the word scare, um, and I don't mean, makes me afraid, I want to run away. No, 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 it makes me more, it, it, it makes me more humble. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, it's the fact that God sees everything, but he doesn't say everything. He sees everything, but he doesn't say everything. Sometimes God, I mean, even the thought that just crossed your mind right now, God heard it. But did you hear God's voice? No. And that should not make you feel like you have all the license and freedom in the world to do whatever evil you want to do. That should instead make you feel like, oh my God, God is keeping records. <laughs> right? It is, he, he, he sees everything. He knows everything. Amen now. And so God saw the evil, the darkness in the hearts of Eli and his sons. It's like, you cannot shepherd or steward over my people. With a, with a heart as, as bad or evil as this. No, no, no. I'm going to skip over you. And I'm going to look for another priest in Israel. I'll look for a kid in Israel. Are you following me now? So God skipped over priests and came to a little boy called Samuel. Who was sleeping in the temple courts where the lamp of God was. I guess, like I said last week, he, his job, he took over the job from the, from the priests. Because the, it was the job of the, and duty of the priests to oil the lamps. That's the, 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 the portion given, the instruction given to Levites in that day. Is they must oil the lamp. They must ensure that the oil, the lamp never goes out. But we find that, that Eli and his sons were doing a very bad job at this. So much so that Samuel, who is not an Eli, a Levite by descent. Samuel is an Ephraimite. From the, is, is the descendant of Ephraim. And we find that Samuel takes over as priest. But he doesn't take over just suddenly, just wakes up one day and becomes a priest. Instead, he takes over gradually when he starts to fill the shoes that the elders left uh, uh, um, and ignored. What am I saying? Before I go to my sermon, let me tell you something. There's a generation that God is raising today that is stepping into shoes that elders, our elders, people who have gone before us, ignored. A, a, a shoe that they should have, they should have, they should have modeled for us how to live the righteous life, a, a, the right, the right life, a righteous life, right? But they haven't. They left those shoes. But God, as God is calling on young boys, young girls, ladies, and guys who would step into the shoes and would live and fulfill God's mandate on the earth. Amen. Now, and I believe that you are one of them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, coming back to First Samuel sixteen, where we just read. Uh, Prophet Samuel, God speaks to him and says, Hey Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Now, to give you context as to what God is talking about here, and because it just feels like I just dropped you in the middle of a world war, you're probably like, Where am I? Where are we, Pastor Mano? Let me give you context real quick. Saul was the first king Israel had. Israel was, and now, and Samuel, let me tell you something about Samuel also that you probably do not know. There's a book right before 1 Samuel called the book of Judges. These are men and women that God raised to rule Israel. They were not kings. They functioned in the, in the position of prophets and warriors. Majorly prophets and warriors. Majorly prophets and warriors, right? And now we find... In 1 Samuel, the last judge over the land of Israel, and he was Samuel. 
Samuel functioned as, the, as, a, as a judge over Israel up until the time where the people of Israel demanded for a king because they did not want the lordship of God anymore. They, they, they could not wait to hear from God all the time. They, they could not wait to see God's counsel. They, they could not wait to hear God tell them what to do part time. And instead, they looked for something that was more accessible because they felt they could not. How, would, how can we worship a God we do not see? But here's the thing if you choose people, a person you can see over a God you cannot see, then it tells me that you don't even really understand God to begin with. And so they chose a person they could see on the outside. Imagine a God who, though we cannot see him physically, but we know everything about him, we understand the attributes of God. And how would we, uh, the children of Israel picked a God that though they couldn't see him physically, they understood his ways. Over a person that though they saw physically, they did not understand his heart. And so they chose Saul to be king over Israel. And guess what? Samuel was the one who anointed Saul. But just like anything that human beings, any plan that human beings devise in their own hearts, that is outside of the will of God. Just like any idea that you have, that you work on, that any, any, any dream that you pursue that is not God's dream for you. Just like any relationship that you go into that is not God's relationship for you. At some point, you regret your choice. At some point, you know that you have blown it. And it's the same thing for Samuel at this point because now he's in deep recess or is in, is in the recess of, of, of uh, regrets. Because the person that he anointed, because the, the function and job and role of a priest in those days also was to anoint kings with the oil that God has given to them. And rather, and Samuel is in a place right now where he's, he's deeply saddened by the fact that he felt like he had wasted his oil on a man. Who at the end of the day, now God said that I have rejected Saul, but I want you to understand what that means. Though God, God rejected Saul, I want you to understand that it was Saul who rejected God first. Saul rejected God. He was not patient with God. He did not seek God first. He was, and one time Saul went to battle and God gave him an instruction to annihilate and to eliminate all every Amalekite. But you know what Saul did? Saul killed some Amalekites and he preserved their king. Why? So he could keep, keep him as a trophy. He wanted glory to himself. And so he took their king, he preserved their king. Not only that, he went and he erected a monument to himself. He created a statue. They were building a statue for Saul. So Saul wanted glory to himself. Are you following me now, church? Saul wanted glory to himself. And he rejected God in that, in doing that. And at the end, God rejected him. Because remember Jesus said, if you act like you don't know me, in front, of, in front of people, I will act like I don't know you in front of my God. Amen now. And so we find Saul to be rejected. And now this introduces us to the passage where we, were at, where, we are, where we are focusing today. God said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Then God says, Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse. Now I want you to understand something. Um, that really expedient for us to understand in this entire sermon today. Over the past few few weeks, we've been we've been focusing on on you know waiting for God's spirit, lingering in His presence, you know, give up your oil, and doing and all these things have been very much spiritual. God, this is the Holy Spirit really has been leading us to uh, in in all these directions and in, in ways. But today, I want you to really lean into what God is saying to us today as a church. Church. Saul, like I said, sorry, Samuel, rather, like I said, was a priest over the land of Israel and his job was to anoint the king. Whoever was king in the land of Israel, his job was to anoint that person and make him king. So his oil appoints, his oil approves. But then, like my phone, the person he approved and anointed turns out, turned out to be someone he regretted. It turned out to be his worst decision ever since he became priest over Israel. And so, somehow, we find Saul mourning his decision to have made Saul king. And so, Samuel kind of projected that failure upon himself or onto himself. Samuel did not see that Saul failed. Samuel saw that I failed. Because it was my job, or it is my job, to anoint kings. 
And so I have anointed someone who turned out to be a failure. So somehow Saul thought, Samuel rather thought, I must have failed. Oh, I have failed as a priest. I have failed as a shepherd over the land of Israel. Because right? I, have, I have not fulfilled the instructions of God. Well, and so we find Samuel here grieving. And he's grieving and he's mourning. And he's grieving and he's mourning. And he's grieving and he's mourning. What is he mourning? Saul? Not just Saul. His decision to make Saul king. Are you following me now? What am I, why am I saying this? Majority of the time, we are also locked up in a corner of our lives or minds and houses and rooms mourning and regretting some of the decisions that we took that it felt like in that time God asked us to make them. Are you following me now? We sit and we reflect and we mourn. We grieve the things that we did. Because remember now, I don't know if you know this, but there's a reason, there's a reason I wanted to take us back to that book in, in Samuel the other time where I actually made a mistake and took us to 1 Samuel chapter 9. In, in case you, in case you, you uh, we'll still go there anyway. But God was the one who asked, who asked uh, uh, Samuel to anoint Saul. God told Samuel, described Saul to Samuel. Hey, Samuel is a man coming, is, 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 one, is, is, uh, uh, is uh, a head taller than every other man in Israel. That's the king of that's the king over, over Israel. Saul is the king over, over Israel. The moment Saul, Saul, uh, Samuel saw Saul, God spoke, God spoke to Samuel again and said, Yes, that is the king I have chosen. And though God was the one who asked Samuel to do this, Samuel now feels he, he, he is in regret and he is mourning and grieving a decision that he felt like in the time when he took it was the right thing to do. Are you following me now? Have you ever been in a position where you felt like God instructed you to do something, but um, it turns on you? Or it uh, turns out in a way or plays out in a way you never, that, that is not pleasing to you? Have you ever done something in a season where you really thought it was God who asked you to do it? Right? You, you, you started that business because you thought it was God who asked you to do it? You started that idea because you thought it was God who asked you to do it. You wanted to minister because you thought it was God who asked you to do it. You started serving on the choir because you, was, you thought it was God who asked you to do it. But after a while, you are now projecting the failure of that enterprise onto yourself. Like, it failed because I failed. Are you following me now? Oh, I must have failed, I must have failed to seek God more. Oh, maybe I was not. I didn't see God intently with that relationship. That's why I failed. Maybe I didn't see God well intently in that with that decision, that, that that idea, that business, that enterprise. And we are sitting like Samuel, grieving and mourning. And God's word is coming to us today, saying this: How long will you mourn for that thing? How long will you mourn that decision? How long will you mourn? I get that bad things happen. And of course, I'm not, I'm not uh, someone who tells you to move on as though nothing ever happened. But how long will you mourn? God is asking. How long will you sit there regretting all that has happened? Or would you get up right now and take your flask and go and anoint another person? Are you following me now? How long will you mourn over soul? Since the Bible says, I have rejected him as king. Listen, some of the, pro the, the failures we project on ourselves, onto ourselves, especially people in ministry, you have an idea, you thought it was going to work and it didn't work. Uh, okay, for example, we're, pl we're planning towards advance, but I was going through my notepad this morning and I saw written somewhere in my notepad that advance was initially, originally scheduled for April 14, 15, and 16 this year. And it failed. It couldn't work out. Now imagine I'm sitting here and I'm projecting the failure of those things onto myself. Are you following what I'm saying now? Imagine Jesus was, imagine if Jesus projected the failure of the children of Israel, that that's the children of Israel's failure to, to believe him as the son of God upon himself. Imagine, and, and that's what we do, right? We project the failure of things onto ourselves, but we forget that if it was God who called us and it was God who sent us, then if they rejected us, it was not us they rejected, it was God they rejected. Amen now. People reject God. And if you're on an assignment from God and you feel rejected, it's not you. It is God who they rejected. It was the one who sent you, they rejected, not you. Amen now. Let us be an encouragement to you today. God sent you to someone and they rejected your, the word God sent you to tell them. And you presented it humbly and all these things and they still rejected you. Hey, move on. 
It was God that rejected, not you. Amen now. It was God. Everybody say it was God. Not me. Amen. And we find Samuel in a place of grieving. And then God's word comes to him telling him to go and pour oil. And so we, think we talked about give up your oil. And we said that um, whatever we maintain does not multiply. If we maintain oil, it can't mul can multiply. The only way we can get to the multiplication is when we give it up. Not when we maintain. But let me tell you another mental... There's a reason sometimes I break things down and I read beyond the text. It's not because I'm reading. I, want to, I don't intend to read outside of the text. No. I want to show you things in the scripture that... And, and put you in the imagery, like give you the imagery, not just give you the imagery, but to put you in the middle of the story. So if you are Samuel, I want you, I want you to picture what you will be thinking now. You've anointed the king, and it's not even been up to 20 years after, since it's, I, don't, I doubt if it's up to 10 years, after you anointed this king, and he's blown it. Matter of fact, God has rejected him. And then God tells you to get up and go and anoint another person. What's the fear? The fear, I'm guessing, will be a fear of, I might repeat the same failure. Are you following me now? So Samuel's grief sometimes... Okay, let me say this way. Samuel's grief was keeping him from even experiencing new oil. Because you see, the only reason he would have gotten, he would have gotten new oil in his flask was because he was going to anoint a new king. But his grief would have, would have uh, 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 inhibited him from experiencing that newness, that ability to pour oil on another man. Right? So what am I saying? How does this connect? And how does this relate to us, Pastor Man? Oh, good. The fear of what has happened in the past is limiting what God wants to do through us in the present. Are you getting this now? I have failed in the past, but will I allow that become a lens through which I view the future? If I view the future from the lens of the past, I might never move forward. We want the oil of the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to do something in us. We are crazy for God. That's what we say. But are we willing to make room in our hearts for God to do what he wants to do? Or are we sitting in ashes? How long would you sit with your face buried in the ashes? Of defeats or the past. Amen now. And Samuel. Um, was instructed by God to go and anoint David. Get up. Go and anoint a man. I will show you. And but this is actually very funny. We find it very interesting that God says go and anoint a man. But when Samuel got to Jesse's house, who he met was a boy. And I'll be there in a minute. And I promise you this won't, be, this won't take any long. But I just want you to understand something. I just want you to see it like it was you who, who God was speaking to in this situation. Right now you are mourning something. An idea didn't go the way you wanted it to go. wanted it to go. A relationship didn't go the way you wanted it to go. You felt, disappoint you felt disappointed by people who you said you trusted. You felt disappointed by your own choices. See, nothing hurts you, not you, nothing hurts you most than when you realize that most of the decisions you made failed. Nothing hurts you most or more than when you start to reflect on some of the things you thought God sent you to do. But today, they are nothing. Right? Nothing hurts you most or more when you think, Oh, I've been doing this thing for X number of years now. What do I have to show for it or to show for it? Nothing hurts you more than when you feel like you've not done a great job. Amen now. You see, one thing that constricts the flow of the Holy Spirit is when, not when we grieve. Because see, there's a point in everything where we have to grieve. People disappointed you, grieve. Let me tell you something. I'm learning about some, one thing about myself and it's this. And I was telling my sister this the other day. Sometimes when I go into God's presence and I pray and, I'm f and, I, and I enjoy my entire prayer time. I go hours and I pray in God's presence. Amazing. But there are times when I go into God's presence and I go with a heavy heart. And I, in fact, those times I don't even feel like I have, I have 10 minutes in me to pray. I just, I'm there and every cell of my body is fighting my decision to stay in God's presence. And, and in those times, the Holy Spirit has been teaching me to do a little bit of self-reflection. That's an introspection where I look on the inside that what could be wrong? 
And do you know that more often than not, God has been revealing to me that sometimes because of the amount of success that we garner or we've achieved in a day or a week or um, a month, a year, we, we, we blur the little disappointments that it took us to get to that place of approval. I follow me now. Every day is a chance for you to get offended. And sometimes I'm offended by people. But I mean, because, okay, for example, we're planning for a conference now and I'm planning and I'm working and I'm looking for what next. What, what, and somebody tells me, but ask somebody for something and they say no. I'm like, okay, good. What next? What next? And I'm just looking for what next because I cannot stay still in the grief or, 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 or the shadow of that person. A person's no, right? I cannot continue longer in the shadow of one person's disapproval. Right? I'm moving forward, I'm moving forward, I'm moving forward so I don't get discouraged. But at some point, when I stop, the heaviness comes. Are you following me now? Because it was not like God didn't do things for me. It was not like God had not used me that week. It was not like God did not use me that day. But there are some dis disappointments and discouragement that I received or I felt in my spirit that I did not process. Are you following me? So I've, I'm, I'm all for processing. Please reflect. Please deal with what needs to be dealt with. Talk to somebody about it. Reflect. Things might not change because you reflected. But you get healthier when you reflect. Right? Reflect. Reflect. Reflect in all the things. But listen, you've got to move forward. Because the Holy Spirit, one of the things that constricts is that the flow of the Holy Spirit in us is when we stay stuck in what was. When we stay stuck in what was. See, the moment Saul rejected God, God had found another king. God does not stay stuck in what was. God is not someone who is every day lamenting in heaven. You know, I've, I've heard several uh, people who say they go to heaven and they come back and they say they are only seeing God crying. That's a lie. God is not crying. See, whether or not God's spirit, of course, God's spirit breaks sometimes for humankind. But if God is not in heaven crying. God crying is God's, uh, it's, it's like God saying, oh, what will I do? Oh, uh, what will I do? No, God, God doesn't cry. I mean, when I say God doesn't cry, I mean, like, he's, he's not crying because he feel, he's afraid or he's saddened by the failure of mankind. Of course, it is a grief. See, listen, God is someone, I want you to understand God very well. God saw in number six, the, sorry, in Genesis six, the evil that was being perpetrated on the earth. And then the next thing God, the Bible says, God said, never again shall my spirit strive with the spirit that is, that is in man. So I will not cry because of the decision of mankind. Instead, you know what God did? He moved his attention to, to Noah and his family. Because God is a what next God. Amen now. God is a what next God. He stays for a minute and he regrets. The Bible says he, he, he bitterly pained, he bitterly hurt God when he reflected, or when he thought that the same man that he made is doing this kind of evil. But God didn't stay stuck in what was. God moved on to what next. Amen now. And I'm telling you, if you're a steward of God's oil, you've got to understand that a, a person who is a steward of God's oil, that is someone who God pours his oil upon. God's oil is upon you. I don't know if you know that. And all, all, what oil means, because if you've been in church a long time, you know oil, you must have heard oil, 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 anointing oil, and all these things. But what oil means is God's sign or signal of approval. So if you're a steward of God's approval, you're a steward of, God, steward of God's oil. And if you're a steward of God's oil, you cannot stay stuck in what was. Grab your flask, Samuel, and go and anoint another person. Go and pour your oil. God is creating. God, God is God, there are people out there. The Bible says the creation is waiting for the is expecting right for the sons of God to be made manifest. Right? You cannot stay stuck in what was because people offended you, because people disappointed you. That you will not take your flask and go and pour. Go and pour oil, Samuel. Go and pour oil, Sarah. Go and pour oil, Rachel. Go and pour oil, Isaac. Go and pour oil, pour oil. whoever it is, is listening to me right now. Go and pour oil. Amen now. We cannot stay stuck in what was. I am going to pour my oil. Everybody say, I'm going to pour my oil. I'm not going to stay stuck in what was. Amen. We've got we've, we've to move, we've move past what happened. It was not us. That God, God didn't reject us. They rejected God. They didn't reject us, they rejected God. Are you, are you following me, everybody? And you have got to move forward knowing that God is with you and for you. Amen now, church. You got oil. You were steward of oil. Please don't hoard your oil. Please pour it.
Amen now. And I find something very interesting. And I want you to see this. I want you to really see this. And I, tell you, I promise you'll be done very soon. But I want you to see this. When Samuel gets to the house of Jesse. And Jesse brings his first son, Eliab. And Samuel saw him. Look, look at what he says. Look at what Samuel said. I want to show you. It says this. Um, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Why? Eliab looks like a king. Eliab had the appearance of a king. Eliab walks like a king. Eliab had gone to, he had, he had gone to back then, uh, hundreds of years ago, actually, in, in Great Britain, there's a thing they call um, school of etiquette. It's a school major ladies went to. And even men sometimes, uh, they don't go to the school, their fathers teach them. But for women, they go to a school on etiquette, and, they would, and that's where ladies would be taught how to eat, how to, how to talk, uh, because they wanted to marry wealthy husbands. And so they would teach them how to how to work, how to even you know work on a, a sewing machine, how to be a good wife, basically. And um, Eliab looked like someone who was cultured to be a king. You follow me now, church? Eliab looked like someone who was cultured to be a king. He, his father Jesse was a, was grandson of Boaz, who got married to Ruth. Remember? And so, so I guess that responsibility was on Eliab by, by, by nature of, um, or by order of firstborn rights, right? And Eliab walked before Samuel, and Samuel was like, oh, this definitely must be the one God has chosen. Because he looked the part. But God then turned to Samuel and said, hey, listen, Samuel, I do not consider things the way you consider them. Do you look like, you look at outward appearances, I look at the heart. You look like what they you look at what they look like. I look at what they think like. Ooh. You look at what they sound like. I, I I look at what they think like. What do they think like? What do they pray like? What do they worship like? What do they worry like? What God is not looking at the outward. God looks at the inward. Amen. Now, and so Samuel almost poured his oil because it looked because Eliab looked like the right king. But then Eliab, but then God told him, no, 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 I have rejected this one. He looked cultured on the outside. But if you, if you read the book of, later on in the book of uh, Samuel, when David gets to uh, uh, face Goliath, we find the kind of mind that Eliab has. Eliab is an, has an insecure mind. You'll find Eliab later on when he, he wrongly accuses David of being someone with an evil heart or evil intention. And then he called David wicked. But David was not wicked, he was only insecure. I mean, Eliab was insecure. And so Eliab was going to be an insecure king. But God didn't want any more insecure kings. Saul was already, Saul was already enough. Amen now. And so God looked beyond what Samuel saw. Now what am I going to, what am I going to, what am I going to? Even after Samuel, even after, right, the entire thing that happened with Saul and Eliab, Samuel had to be very careful so as not to waste his oil. On Eliab's appearance. Are you following me now? Now Samuel was thinking, this oil in my hand is special to me because I am a steward of it. I'm a steward of oil. I'm a steward of God's oil, right? Or this oil of approval. I'm a steward of it. And so what's Samuel thinking of right now? I must ensure that I um, use this oil the right way. Are you following me now? Let me tell you something, church. I want us to have the mindset of I'm a steward over God's oil. Right? Everybody say I'm a steward over God's oil. What that means is I must ensure that God's oil is properly managed. Whatever that oil might be for you, I must ensure it is properly managed. Um, we have, we have a, let me tell you this, we have a very interesting compound, guys. You must have heard it in the past, probably when I was reading, I think when I was reading my text, you must have heard. Um, we have chickens around us. I don't like them. I hate the chickens, but I love the meats, of course. But I hate chickens. I, I have, what one time I, uh, I checked it on Google with someone. They said it's called arachnophobia. That is the fear of chickens. I'm like, ha ha ha, I have the fear of chickens. I do not like chickens because they're like, they're just so all over, all over my face. But um, one interesting thing about chickens is um, we have currently in our backyard, we have a chicken, a mother hen who has, I don't know, like five to six eggs. 
that she's kind of like sitting on. I don't know what it's called, but uh, she's just trying to incubate the eggs under her arm. So the heat can make the eggs hatch and chicks come out of it. But I love one thing that this mother hen has been doing. For the past few days now, we find some other chickens that are probably the ones she had given birth to in the past. Uh, she gave birth to uh, this other, I say she gave birth. She laid this egg that turned to a chick um, some probably months ago, probably last year, I don't know. And this chick is big enough. Chicken is, or chick is something like a, a, a little chicken. It's big enough now. And so it normally goes around with his mother. But, but nowadays, his mother is not uh, being at home, let me say it that way. His mother is, is uh, sitting on her egg somewhere apart from where they normally sleep. And she does not go home. She's been there for days now, just sitting on those chicks, on those eggs. And we find this chicken always coming to meet his mother. Always coming to meet his mother. And the, and the way we know this is the mother always makes a sound. And the sound the mother makes is to tell that chicken to get out because she's trying to protect our chicks that are still in egg form and that preached to me guys that is preaching to me right now i don't know when that preach listen to me until we have the mindset of a mother hen that we are so mindful and protective over the chicks the oil that is in our under our wings right until we are so mindful we would let it be corrupted by even the things that are around us hey follow me now Saul was a former king, but even Saul could not know, must not know that Samuel was about to anoint another king because it's, it's not done. You don't anoint a king over another king. No, you only anoint a king when the other king is dead. And so Samuel was about to anoint another king while there was, there was still a king on seat. So I want you to understand how terrible the situation was right now. But even then, God taught Samuel how to be a steward by protecting his oil. Are you following me now? Protect your oil, guys. Protect the Spirit of God on your inside. Of course, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is protecting you, but you got to protect His flow inside of you. Are you ruining it? Are you... Like, yeah, exactly. That's not the chicken, but that's, that's God's. Because like we run, we run... This is like Ken's farm. If you know Clark Kent from Superman, we run Ken's farm. Every animal is found in this place. Just no horses and um, cows, thank God. <laughs> But like, you are a steward over God's oil. You cannot allow the oil to be polluted by what was. A person God has rejected. See, you've got to be careful with the oil. You've got to be careful with the oil. You've got to guard your oil. I almost started this sermon that guard your oil. Guard your oil, guard your oil, guard your oil. It does not deserve to be poured just on any altar. You cannot just pour your oil in any place. I know I said give up your oil, but you've got to guard it as well. You cannot hold your oil loosely. You've got to pour it in the right places. Elijah, Elijah did, not tell, did, did, not, did not tell the woman to pour the oil wherever she felt like pouring it. Is that pouring into the vessels that you have borrowed. Let me tell you something. You have to be a proper steward over the oil or it would run out and there'll be no miracle at the end of the day. Are you following me now, church? We are stewards of God's oil. Let me now tell you, let me close with this. In 1 Samuel 9, where I mistakenly asked to open to the other time, um, I want to do a little bit of contrast, comparing com com compare and contrast all this. Um, to the first king that was chosen over Israel. How did this king appear? Look at how it's written. Chapter 9, first chapter 9, it says this, There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bokorath, the son of Ephiar of Benjamin. Kish had a name, as had a son named Saul. Listen, as handsome a young man as, he, as could be found anywhere in Israel. He was a head taller than anyone else. He was a head taller than anyone else. Now listen, this is how Saul is introduced to us. His outward appearance but let's look at how God introduces David look at this in 1st Samuel chapter 16 I read that verse again the Lord said to Samuel how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel fill your own and be on your way I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem I have chosen one of his sons to be king 
I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And when we hear of David, we do not hear of David's appearance. You know what we hear of? David's service. When Samuel asked after David, they said David is at the back of the, of the desert, the wilderness, doing what? Tending to sheep. So what we, when Samuel was introduced, he was introduced as someone who served. For David, so for, sorry, for Saul, he was introduced as a model. <laughs> he was handsome. He was taller than every other person in Israel. Let me tell you something. Why am I saying this, guys? You have to be careful. Please guard your oil. Do not just pour your oil anywhere. Do not just, just because it looks like what is right on the surface does not mean it is right by God. Just like worrying sounds like, oh, this is the best thing to do. How do I, how do I figure things out? Let me think concretely. Let me think critically. How to, and, and, and waste my time worrying. No, 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 no. That's you wasting your oil. Guard your oil. Guard your oil, guard your oil, guard your oil. We find in the book of Psalms, after David, this same person who, upon whom Samuel poured his oil, made a terrible mistake. Because you see, because David was God's choice did not mean David would not sin. Because David was, David was God's choice did not, did not mean David would not, make, would not commit atrocities. He did. Even the worst of them. You know what he did? He killed the husband that served uh, uh, one of his best soldiers. He killed him so he can get his wife. Right. That, that is not a good thing. That is, if, if you ask anybody, that's a bad thing. That's a very bad thing. No king should do that. But David did. David took Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. But one thing that I find to be very interesting about um, David is not that David did not know that he did wrong. Because you see, compared to Saul, I, I dare say, well, Saul dishonored God directly. But in terms of evil, I don't think I can compare Saul's evil to David's. I mean, before God rejected Saul, of course. Saul disobeyed on countless on different occasions, but David killed somebody. He killed someone and inherited the person's wife. <laughs> so Saul, David's evil is kind of deeper and better and, great, and greater than Saul's evil, if you ask me. Before Saul got rejected, of course. But one thing I find here was David's heart after, after um, his sin. We find David cry out to God, asking God, he said this, he said, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He cried out, David cried out to God because he knew that he had done what shouldn't be done right and then he asks god he says hey god please do not cast me away from your presence do not take your holy spirit from me renew my oil david asks renew my oil because i have wasted it renew my oil oh god because i have wasted it don't take your holy spirit from me you would, you would assume someone like david would be asking god not to take away his throne no 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 it's like god you can take the throne God, you can take the kingdom, take everything away from me, but do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Do not take your oil away from my life. Do not take the oil away from me, O oh God. Help me, God, to guard this oil that you're about to give to me. Are you following me, church? That should be our prayer. Lord, help me guard my oil. Do not take this oil away from me. Do not take your spirit away from me. Do not take your presence away from me, God. Help me guard my oil. Let's be on our feet, church. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We are stewards of oil. We are stewards of God's oil. We are stewards of God's oil. Let's not waste it. Let's not waste God's oil. Let's not pour it out just anyhow. Are you following me now, church? Let's not waste our oil. Let's pour it in the right places. Hey, listen to me now, church. Right now, church, I just want you to, I want us to just leave with this, with this mind, church, that God has given me oil. I'm a steward over it. Not only am I a steward over the fire, but I'm a steward over the oil. Not only am I a steward over fire, 
I'm a steward of oil. There is no oil, there's no fire without oil. There, there is no fire without oil. The oil, the fire burns on off of the oil. If you lose the oil, you only the only thing you have is smokes, right? The only thing that keeps fire going is when one more is when more wood is thrown into it, right? The wood act, they acts as the fuel, the oil needed to power the lamp or that or that or that uh, 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 fire, whatever it is, right? Do not. So what I'm trying to say is you need the oil because without the oil there'll be no fire. Without the oil, there is no fire. Alright, and sadly we have so many people who have run out of oil and they think they still have fire. You've run out of, run, you've run out of oil. You have disregard. Bible says do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Why do you think the Bible says so? Because the Holy Spirit is so fragile. Right? He's so fragile, he must not be grieved. Because he's like oil. And that oil was taken away from Saul. Bible says the Spirit of the Lord left Saul and an evil spirit from God entered into him. This is post after um, uh, uh, he, re- got, he rejected God. He, he, he disobeyed God's instruction. So I want us to live with this mind that we are stewards of oil. Holy Spirit, we pray, Jesus. Lord, we don't want to waste your oil. You're giving us oil in different ways, in different capacities, God. Both in terms of talent, calling, I'm um, 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 gifting, whatever it is, Holy Spirit. Help us not to waste our oil on what was, Holy Spirit. And not, help us not to pour our oil on the altar of our parents, God, or just mere pleasure. Lord, our greatest desire and goal here is to please you. Above all things, beyond all things, God, we want to please you, Holy Spirit. So God, help us, oh God, to guard our oils. In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, everlasting one. May your name be praised. In Jesus' mighty name, we are afraid. Amen and amen. Advanced Version 2.0 Conference is live now. Visit bit.ly version 2 con now to register.